Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive episode where we interview an analyst to discuss a single stock or industry. And today we have on the show, Chris from Potential Multi-Baggers. That is his service on Seeking Alpha, where they seek to find, as it sounds, potential multi-baggers. And one of those multi-baggers for him has been the Trade Desk, which we talk about today. They are sort of the disruptor or the innovator within the digital ad landscape. And they have a very charismatic CEO in Jeff Green, and it's been an outperformer over the last five years, really since it's become public. So this is a fun interview to get into. And if you want to learn more about the business, stick around because uh, here's our interview with Chris. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right. Today we are welcomed by Chris. He has been on the show a number of times, but it has been a while. Um, You may know him as From Value on Twitter. He is the, we were talking about this before the show, the CEO, founder, lead author, whatever you want to call it, of uh, Potential Multibaggers. It's a service on Seeking Alpha that we will link to in the show notes. But Today, we're going to be talking about the Trade Desk, which I think is a company uh, a lot of people in the investing community are maybe familiar with, but maybe not so much if you're, I don't know, new to investing. So can you give some history around the business? Kind of how did they come to be one of the leading digital advertising companies? And and I guess like what's what's the genesis story here for the for the Trade Desk? Yeah, well, first, Ryan Braz, I'm very happy that I'm uh, back with you guys. It's always fun to talk to you. Um, so let's let's go to the trade desk. Um, you know, the trade desk is two people actually. So um, Jeff Green and Dave Pickles. Um, well, of course, <laughs> there are thousands of employees right now, but uh, it starts with Jeff Green. So Jeff Green, after he finished university, uh, he joined uh, Microsoft in. Uh, uh, he worked at uh, Amazon, if you still remember that messenger service. service. Uh, and he he worked at Microsoft after university in Salt Lake, C- Salt Lake City uh, for uh, two years. And then um, he founded a company uh, called uh, Ad ECM. And um, that was actually um, one of the first or maybe even the very first programmatic uh, advertising uh, company. So, um, but you know, that there have been several updates, of course, since then, a lot of updates. Uh, and then, um, four years later, um, he saw that company, uh, or, you know, Microsoft bought his company at ECN. So he was back at Microsoft at, you know, in, in the marketing department, uh, or, um, at advertising. And, uh, there he met Dave Pickles. And um, uh, you know he he um, he stayed there for two years, and um, you know he was frustrated with how uh, Microsoft treated his you know former company uh, because they they did almost everything wrong according to G- to Jeff Green, 
And so he started uh, together with Dave Pickles, who's still the CIO today. Um, he founded uh, the Trade Desk. And so actually the idea that um, uh, Jeff Green had was uh, that he, you know, he, he also knew trading and, and investing. And the idea that he had was, you know, why not make um, buying ads much easier, just like you have a broker, uh, which is, you know, in between the buyers and the sellers. And you don't even have to know the buyer. You don't even have to know the seller if you're the platform. And that's actually what uh, the Trade Desk has become. Um, the Trade Desk is the platform where you can buy and sell ads. Well, actually, um, the Trade Desk is on the demand side. So that means that it's um, teaming with uh, people who buy um, ads. Uh, not who sell, but of course there's supply as well from the uh, you know from uh, content makers. But that's not directly. Uh, we can talk about the details later. But um, so it's actually a platform, and the trade desk takes a percentage of uh, the worth of the campaign. Let's call it that. And um, that percentage is is actually quite high if you compare that to brokers. So it's it's twenty to twenty five percent, which is quite a bit. Um, and uh, well, not always, of course. There are there are always deals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but it's quite high. And the reason that it's so high is because the trade desk uh, adds a lot of of value actually for its, um, you know, uh, ad ag agencies and other customers. So if you're Unilever, you can go to the trade desk and, and say, you know, we want a campaign. And you can actually, um, you know, just like uh, buying a stock, you can say, I, I want to spend this much and I want those channels. And um, the, what the trade desk will do is like a good broker uh, is try to find uh, most bang for your buck. So um and that's why the Trade Desk is completely on the DSP, so demand side platform. So they only team with um, with the you know the the, the advertisers. So and that that's that's uh, already very important to know. Uh, we'll probably get into that a bit later. Yeah, and you kind of answered the the, the next question we have here, but I want to go through a little bit more. You talked about how the overview of the digital advertising process works, but for someone, I think this part for any first time in, uh, investor in this space, it gets a bit confusing. So I kind of want to hit on maybe some of the details again. Let's say you mentioned I'm uh, Unilever. You make an ad. You go to say or then at the end result, it gets put in front of a, a person. This could be a display ad. It could be a video ad. It could be an audio ad. Actually, if you're listening to this show, the trade desk could be supplying some ads for you right in the middle of it. Uh, yep. But audio is audio is growing uh, quite fast. It's it's a smaller market, market for them, but it's actually growing quite fast. <laughs> yeah, we will talk about maybe these growth avenues, CTV especially later, but how does that process work? Do they just have a dashboard within their you know, their team and are they able to just seamlessly do this? And and is that what it means by programmatic? You're kind of just, okay, I don't have to talk with anyone at the trade desk. They'll do it all for me. They'll put it on Roku, Spotify, all the different places. Uh, any details there that investors need to know about? 
Yeah, well, actually, it's a it's a very complicated process, you know, um, which is amazing, actually, because it goes very fast. It's We're talking milliseconds here. And so you have um, an ad slot, right? So, uh, you know, um, you, uh, Brian, for example, is watching, I don't know, Disney Plus. Um, they, do they already have ads, right? Yeah. Um, so there's an ad slot there. Now, um, Disney has an SSP because it's it has its own SSP. So that's supply side platform. So the supply side platform, if if it's a smaller uh, website, for example, they will they will use an SSP, for example, like uh, Pubmatic. So uh, Pubmatic will um, put that ad slot, um, you know, and people can actually um, bid, make a bid. Right, so they can say, "Oh, I'm I'm willing to give you know five cents for this. Oh, I'm 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 willing to to bid six cents uh, for my ad." And um, that's actually where that is done. It's on the Trade Desk's platform, so that it's actually a bidding platform. But the Trade Desk will always try to um, make the price as low as possible for its customers because they team with the advertiser who wants as much bang for the buck as possible, of course. So that's actually how how, uh, how it goes. And this goes in milliseconds. So, um, and and of course this is done programmatically because, uh, you know, it's not that someone, that a person is uh, is really bidding there or in, in that millisecond, oh, five cents, six, six, seven cents. No, that goes programmatically because uh, an, an advertiser has said beforehand, you know, I wanna give this profile um I, I'm, 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 I want to spend that much on that profile. So maybe if uh, right, if your mother watches uh, Disney Plus, normally she will get another um, ad as, unless she's looking under your profile. So so that's that's actually how it goes. So and that in that sense, it's programmatic that you know it's. It, it's 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 not as if a person intervenes in that process because we're talking about you know it goes faster and faster but we talk about let's say 200 milliseconds or so or even even you know depending on where you are etc cetera, etc cetera. but um it's it's very fast so that's a bit more or less how uh, how that works another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That makes sense. What, now, I guess... Over the last, I think, couple of years, there's been, they seem to have outpaced the industry overall. So what's kind of allowing them to do that? Why are they, I guess, growing so quickly relative to the rest of the advertising industry? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a, a, a very big question because it has multiple answers. But I think it started, uh, you know, First of all, the trade desk is is the one that you know clearly sides with agencies and uh, 
big brands, et cetera, et cetera. So that's already, in the, uh, you know, uh, that makes them different. If you look at the walled gardens, as they call it, so Meta or Facebook um, and, and Google, I'm talking about Google because Google is the ad, um, you know, part uh, department of, of ad uh, alphabet here. So um, if, if they are both DSP and SSP, so they make content, well, not themselves, but we do. <laughs> and um, and then um, they also are DSP. So actually, that's that's a, bi- a bit, you know, schizophrenic because at one side, as a content creator, they want to maximize their profits. On the other hand, as a DSP, so they, you know, they have to say, oh, we have this and and this ad and, you know, you can have it for, for as little as possible. So they have to find some sort of compromise there. So, uh, and that goes for a lot of players in the industry. Um, so they have both the supply side and the demand side. And, you know, those don't really mix well. The trade desk has always started with, you know, we're clearly on the DSP side. So the man side, so the, the advertisers. Now, and one of the crucial things they did, and I think that was 2016, 2017. Now, um, when um, when the trade desk has its uh, had its IPO, that was in 2016, I think. Um, you know, Jeff Green gave a talk. Um, he's a very gifted uh, speaker, by the way. If you haven't listened to him, you, you really should. If if you if uh, he has a series, for example, how is it called? In in normal terms or in speaking terms, or I don't, I don't remember exactly, but he just explains those often very difficult concepts of ad tech and um, programmatic advertising in you know clips on YouTube or in four or five minutes. Very clear, very, um, very um, good to see if you want to know something about the industry. Now, let's go back. What they did uh, back then is they said, you know. If we are not going to IPO, uh, who else will? What he mean? What he meant was that um, programmatic advertising had an awful name. It was seen as the dirtiest industry, uh, you know, there was. Um, and and um, but the trade desk wanted to up, you know, the standards. And how did they do that? And I think that was still 2016, could have been 2017. They worked together with a cybersecurity um, company to eradicate all fake ads. Now, that was huge for the industry. What I mean is this. Now, if you're a a supply side uh, platform um, and, um, you know, you could you know it's in your uh in it, it's in your advantage to say that you had a thousand impressions while you while you maybe only had 500 right so that's how you know and and they could do that technologically with fake ads and at that time uh it, it probably was about 50% or or you know 40% or high numbers and depended a bit on on the medium uh uh, you know, you were using, but a huge percentage was fake. So that was, a, you know, very important. Uh, the trade desk uh, could throw out all the fake ads. 
what does that mean for advertisers? Of course, they have to pay less for the same, you know, views um, or, you know, they had less views, but it, then they had to pay less as well. So that's that that was already very important. Um, and that, you know, gave the gave a lot of companies uh, a lot of confidence in the trade desk. You know, these guys really stand up for advertisers. <laughs> so I think that that is very important. Another important thing is, you know, as I said, um, Dave Pickles is still the CIO. And, you know, he, he's he's the, the guy on the background. Um and uh, Jeff Jeff Green is uh, the technological guy as well, but he he's the visionary guy. You know, I, I I always have to think of Steve Jobs, someone who's technically very very good, but also you know sees where things evolve. So um, um, you know, uh, Steve Jobs has Steve Jobs has once um, referred to you know being smart as uh, you see all the all the people with stupid little maps. And um, being smart means that you're on the top of the building. You can just see the road, right? Um, and that's that's actually what uh, Jeff Green uh, does. I mean, I have followed him so for so long. Um, so I um, I added potential um, the trade as to the potential multibags in, in uh, 2019 um, at $19 and a half, split adjusted. And... Um, even before that, I think it was 2017 or 2018. And he always does something not many CEOs want to do, and that is predicting. And he has he has made so many predictions, and they were all correct. Um, very specific ones that you could control, right? Um, they said, oh, no, Google is going uh, to have to... Um, um, Ways to abolish cookies. Uh, it's not possible in the first years. And, you know, Google had said, we'll do it next year. Oh, yeah. And then Google came out, oh, we'll have to wait for two more years, for example. But back to Dave Pickles. Um, he is very important as well because the trade desk is technically superior to everyone else. So they have much more um, things they can measure. So they give insights um, on, um, you know, the returns of the ads, much more than anyone else. Um, they have already used AI, for example. It's now a buzzword, um, but they have used that for, for I think, at least five years and probably earlier. I mean, and then I mean uh, AI all over the platform, not just, ooh, we have a, a very special corner here for AI. No, 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 no. Um, so uh, technologically, they are also superior. And then as I, I said, it would be a long answer. And then um, a, a third thing I would want to point out is uh, data. So it's it's always fancy to say, oh, we have the best data, but um, the trade desk has the best data by far. And why is that? Um, well, there are, again, there are multiple answers to this. Uh, UI, uh, UID2 um, is, is a part of that. Um, and, um, but, you know, they also have partnerships with big retailers, for example. So with Walmart, with Home Depot, and many, many, many others. And they have their data as well. Um, so those, you know, I mean, which which data are, are better? If you, you know, are uh, liking uh, 
uh, a Facebook um, clip of a dog who stands on his front feet uh, or a pause. Um, uh, you know, I mean, wow, great data, right? No, if the if Walmart um, can show, you know, like like th this is how it goes. So the trade desk uh, targets a certain area, for example, for a specific uh, brand. Let's say let's Heinz ketchup, right? Um, so they target uh, Boston, and then they can measure in Walmart later how much has that campaign yielded. So how much more ketchup has been sold because of the campaign? I mean, this is the this is a, what advertisers have been wanting forever. They want to measure um, how their campaigns work. Up to now, you know, up to a few years ago, it was always. Oh, but brand awareness is important, et cetera, et cetera. And you cannot measure that. And, you know, the traders can. They can clearly measure. And they can give them, the, they can give their customers the numbers. And the, those are often, you know, high. Um, one of the last earnings calls, uh, Jeff, Jeff uh, Green mentioned uh, a customer who had a return on investment of 5.4, if I remember correctly. It was more than five. So every ad dollar had five, more than five in return. So if you can show that to your customers, I mean, you're going to stick with that one, right? Yeah, that makes sense. And you brought up a couple of good points, which is, so first of all, on that marketing side, there's there used to be that expression of, I think it was a CEO or someone said, 50% of our marketing spend is worth it. We just don't know which 50%. I think the trade desk is is, is hopefully trying to eliminate that, uh, that problem. The other thing I wanted to say is you mentioned the purchase price, initial purchase price of, what was it, $18 or something like that. Um, we're, we're looking at it today after a long kind of drawdown from COVID and, and kind of a difficult period for tech stocks in general. And it's at $75. So it's a little bit of the testament to uh, the, the buy right and sit tight approach. But I wanted to talk also kind of about may maybe the, the mechanics of, of how the trade desk works attracting customers. So I'm, I guess I'm curious, do you think of this as sort of a sales organization? Like, are they going out and trying to get advertisers onto the platform? Or is it kind of advertisers uh, come to them and they're like, oh, well, we know that, you know, you, you have a better measurement or we can track our ROI better. How do you think? Well, about it's, a, it's a bit of both. Um, but, you know, the trade desk is not, if, if you want to advertise uh, chit chat money, you're not going to the trade desk because they only, um, you know, have customers, you have to spend a certain amount per year to be able to be a customer. And that's quite big. I mean, it also depends on which country you're in. But in the US, it's, I think it's 30 million a year or so in, in ad spending. I, I don't think Chit Chat Money has 30 million a year to spend on that. You'd be correct. Yeah. Well, in the near future, in the near future. All right. That, that's, that's the spirit. Um, so, um, but for example, in Canada, I think it's just 1 million um, or, or that could have been Mexico as well. I'm, I'm not sure, but you know, they, they have 
they have uh, different prices. So, but it doesn't mean that if you want your ads um, through the, the trade, that's, that's still possible. You can go to an ads agency and if they together have more than 30 billion, uh, million, sorry, you know, 30 billion now have been too much, um, even for chit chat money in a few years. Uh, so, um, so then it's, you can still use the trade desk as well. So that's actually how it goes. Of course, um, every advertiser of, you know, above that level will be approached by the trade desk as well. So it's, it's a bit both, but they also say that they see a lot of, uh, you know, brands and ad agencies just come to them because they know that they have, you know, better, um, better data, better insights. Right. That makes sense. All right. Move it along here. What is UID 2.0? Yes. It's very important. It's actually, um, Jeff, Jeff Green always call, calls it the currency, uh, the ad currency. So it starts from, uh, maybe I would just have to explain first what UID stands for. Um, um, is it uniform? I think it's uniform, uh, identification. Um, so, um, or is it universal? I, I think it's uniform, but whatever. It's something like that, you know. Um, and, um, it's actually a, a standard that, uh, the trade desk themselves have, uh, developed. Um, uh, you know, uh, Google, uh, still <laughs> wants to abolish, uh, uh, third party, third party cookies. And, you know, they, they are in the process and, um, now, third-party cookies, a lot of people uh, saw that as a very big negative for um, the trade desk if third-party cookies would be abolished. Well, the, the, that's not really the case because the trade desk was years ahead with UID and then UID 2.0. And, um, you know, they developed the standard and then moved it open source to, you know, some organization. So it's not theirs anymore. They have given it away to everyone. And what it actually means is that uh, it's it's um, it's a bit like a cookie, but it's completely uh, it's completely privacy. Uh, you know, it, it respects all the rules when it comes to privacy. It gives much more insights. It can be used on all platforms, um, and so it's actually you know. Jeff, Jeff Green always says that it's the currency of the, net, the internet. Why? Because, you know, uh, we're used to free things, right? Uh, if, if we, uh, if we go to a site and, you know, uh, most of the sites, unless they have some sort of specialized, um, you know, inside or, you know, like potential multibaggers, for example. So, but, but the rest is, is free, right? Um, this podcast is free to listen to. Um, so what that means is that, you know, nothing is free. Um, there has to be an exchange and the exchange is that, uh, is the data. So, um, for example, Netflix has already said that the, the value of their, uh, ad, uh, supported, um, viewers is already higher right now than a paying, uh, member or a paying subscriber. Um, so, and that's, that's why, uh, Jeff Green calls this, uh, the, the currency of the, now 
what this means is, for example, um, he get, on the last earnings call, he gave a, a great example, I think, and I, I will more or less um, summarize it here. There is a, um, there is a, the, the biggest um, Indonesian retailer, you know, the, the, the local Walmart, Walmart, let's call it. And they say, you know, we want to, um, we want to reach more people. And what the trade desk does then is, you know, that company has a loyalty program. So they have 2 million people uh, in that lo loyalty program. Now, what they do is they um, insert um, that, the, those data points onto uh, the trade desk's platform. Now, what the software will do is compare what um, things are in common uh, between the loyal customers, right? So, I don't know, maybe they are a certain age or what have you. So, they will compare all those things and see, oh, okay, those most loyal customers have these criteria. Okay, we can now um, link those data with what we have from everyone else. So everyone in Indonesia in this in this um, case um, with the same characteristics because people have you know opted in for uh, UID two, uh, and what it means is that um, you know you go to a site, you know you have to log in. You're either uh, tracked or you give your email address, and that's for everything. Then, so and um, so th those things are combined. So the data, you know, which people in Indonesia have the same criteria as, you know, the loyal customers that we see. And then those are targeted. Now, the cost of acquisition from that, you know, local local Walmart, I, I don't remember the name, Indonesian Walmart, um, goes down, went down by 66%. Because that th those ads were so much more targeted than what they did before. So, what do you think? Will that retailer go to the trade desk for the next campaign? Of course, they will. And that's the value that the trade desk brings, and that's the value of UID 2.0 as well. And there was a mistake initially. A lot of people thought that um, the traders had to go to every publisher um, to, uh, you know to implement uh, UID 2, but that was not true because um, they went to AWS, they went to Google, and they said, you know, can we can we introduce it here? Okay, no problem. So it, it became a standard quite fast, actually. And and, um, and that's how they have, you know, they have the, the, the direct data from many people because the data of those uh of that Indonesian retailer is now on the trade desk platform just like the data of Walmart for example of Home Depot of all those others and it's actually quite quite simple right now um uh, you know the on, on the last earnings call Jeff Green said you know um big content makers cannot you know say we don't want to work with the trade desk because there will simply not be enough demand for ads and um that was a bold uh you know statement uh but i think it's actually true if you if you and and he could have referred there to the net to netflix for example because netflix were, uh, 
worked or uh, made a partnership with um, with Microsoft. And what you saw is then, and uh, there were uh, articles that they didn't get the ad slots filled. I mean, maybe maybe you have seen those articles as well. So it's it it was okay. It was quite a success, but you know they didn't get all the ad slots filled. So I think that could have been. Uh, everybody thought that Netflix would work with the trade desk. They 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 went to Microsoft, and you know, you, you see. Prob- I have heard that um, Netflix is already starting to work with the trade desk now. I'm not sure if that's true. That could be speculation, but. Um, I mean that that's a, that's the reality. That's the power of the trade desk, and that's the power of UID two, which has become, uh, in a very fast time, um, the new standard actually for for um, you know uh, data uh, tracking. It's completely anonymized. It's um, completely uh, uh, privacy uh, uh, friendly. Um, so uh, yeah. That's uh, that's UID too, and it's important role, and uh, it's adopted now across the industry. I think we've already touched on it a little bit, but is there anything else that the Trade Desk offers to advertisers that the Walled Gardens can't? Yes, a lot. Um, no, of course, the the quality of the data, as I already mentioned. Um, so, um, but but also um, multi-channel. So. Um, many, many, many companies, you know, want um, a total campaign on all channels, right? And um, <laughs> Jeff Green said that, um, you know, if it, let, let's let's first go to uh, multi-channel in general. So, if you advertise on Google, you can advertise on Google or on YouTube. If you advertise with um, Meta, you can uh, advertise on Facebook, um, uh, Instagram, and you know more and more bits WhatsApp maybe, and and that will be it. Uh, if you uh, go through the uh, through the, the trade desk, you can also uh, you know have ads on Google Meta, but you can also have them on CTV. You can also have them um, um, on, on on a website. You can have them on a podcast. Uh, you can have them even. So so um, the Trade Desk is now in full transition, making everything that was not digital, digital. That's also very interesting. So you can also bid for, for example, oh, my, custom, uh, my customer, my target customer is, you know, um, rich uh, and works in finance. Okay, in, um, in Manhattan, uh, near Wall Street, there are digital uh, ad displays, right? So they can change because they had, you know, screens more than the traditional fixed um, ad, uh, you know, displays. And, uh, you know, you can target those people between eight uh, and nine in the morning when they go to work, for example. So even those things are made digital. You can say, oh, I want my Heinz ketchup. I want it on display in this in in uh, in Walmart, uh, you know, with ten uh, percent off or you know, buy two one extra, and I want it on display, and I want the premium display place. Well, you can bid for that on the trade desk. So the trade desk is also transforming those traditional, um, you know, offline uh, ways of of uh, making ads, um, uh, also making them programmatic. So. 
yeah, I think that's a very interesting uh, uh, evolution right now. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. I want to talk about a specific vertical, and that is CTV. It seems to be the one they're the most excited about, uh, but correct me if I'm wrong. What opportunity do they have left in CTV? And I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on the competition with YouTube for TV ads, because that is, at least in the United States, um, the most popular streaming service. If you combine both YouTube TV and YouTube, it's probably about 10% of viewership. But again, just curious in general, that opportunity and the competition with YouTube. Um, well, the competition with YouTube is actually that there is no competition. <laughs> um, why is that? Because, you know, the trade desk also will advertise on YouTube without a problem. Um, so, yeah, sure, that there will be a part of um, YouTube ad, or there will be brands which go directly to YouTube and, or to Google and say, you know, we want to advertise on YouTube. Oh, no problem. Um, and but most, especially bigger brands, will want a multi-channel uh, campaign and they will also um, want YouTube, but through the trade dress because they can coordinate everything. And, you know, you don't want multiple platforms and do everything yourself. And that's actually the value that uh, the traders, they're still, you know, still companies doing that for sure also because you know people are involved and they want you know they want to make sure that they that their job doesn't become superfluous right um that that's that's always how one of the the reasons why innovation is, is slowed down because people want to you know understandably keep their job um but so yeah there's still a lot um ground to cover there in that sense that um companies still have to you know, adapt to that a little bit because it's relatively new. Now, uh, as for CTV, there's a direct and indirect uh, component. So the direct component is simple, right? So if you look at uh, uh, ads on, uh, you know, traditional TV broadcast, uh, you see that um, there's still there are still too many ads compared to where the eyes are, where people watch their content because um, more than half now is watched streaming. Um, and, you know, that's, that's you know, that imbalance will go away. So much more um, ads will go to uh, CTV. Um, and Jeff Green has always said that if there would be a recession, that this process would even speed up and you know again he's right uh he has said that years ago um because why is that because the you know because when there is a recession um companies you know reduce their um their ad budgets but you know they still want the same effects right so and and that's why you know um programmatic uh, advertisements uh, are much more efficient than the traditional broadcast. So um, now uh, the second and indirect uh, consequence is, is also very important. Uh, what um, Jeff Green says is that um, companies you know, have always seen TV as some sort of brand awareness campaigns, right? Um, 
with CTV that has changed a little bit, but, but many still see them as brand awareness campaigns. And then they go further because, you know, that's the top of the phone, but they want that sale, right? So that they start with CTV and then they go to other, you know, they, they will target you on a website. They will target you uh, in Walmart where you make the purchase of that Heinz ketchup again. Um, so, and, and that's, that's why CTV is such a huge opportunity because it drives everything else as well. So it, it, it it's the first domino that drops and the rest follows. So uh, that's why, you know, the rest of, of the trade desk also outperforms, um, you know, all the other big players in, in the industry because CTV drives the other uh, divisions of or the other uh, possibilities for uh, for advertisers uh, as well. And just to clarify for all the listeners, we're not sponsored by Heinz Ketchup or anything like that. So, <laughs> neither no, am I. <laughs> we uh, we did get some questions on Twitter, um, and I think we touched on some of them kind of in our own questions. But one was from Luke Hallard, who has been a guest on the show before. He asked about the end game for Open Path, and then. Um, this one I really liked as well, kind of the potential to disintermediate the supply side platforms or the SSPs and kind of become that two-sided marketplace. What do you think about that? And then uh, the the thoughts on the end game for Open Path. Yeah. So Open Path, um, to be clear, is actually a big publisher. So we're talking about huge publishers who can directly put their content uh, for sale on the trade desk. That's more or less open path. Um, and yes, it has been a theme for uh, since it, it started more than a year ago. So, oh, the trade desk is trying to um, disrupt SSP as well. Well, it, on every conference call, uh, Jeff Green um, in very strong words, that says that's no way the plan. So, and I, I believe him there. Um, I think that the reason is um, is again because if if the trade desk would do that, you know, they would become uh, this. They would have the same problem as Google, uh, as as Meta, as as other walled gardens like Roku was until recently because. Um, uh, they have opened up for um, other uh, platforms as well, um, both on the SSP and DSP side. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't see them doing that at all. So they will not. They they don't control the supply there. They just offer it, and that's that's a big difference. It's not that they want to. Um, maximize the returns of uh, the big publishers that use open path. Um, they will remain firmly on the side of DSP. So I'm, I'm really, you know, it has been, uh, it has been talked about for over a year. And, and to me, it's a non discussion. I, I can never see that happen. Of course, it's my, uh, more or less informed opinion. Uh, you, you can you know see into the future. Um, I think if the trade desk would want to do it, they certainly could. But I, I think they don't want to do it, and I you know I think that's the right thing uh, to you know to not do that to to not want to be both 
DSP and SSP because then you you get into trouble because you have to act against your own uh, interests on the other side. So, yep, makes sense. Conflict of interest. Yeah. Now, let's hit the stock with one question. What are your thoughts on the valuation? I know the market cap. You know, it's always been a premium valued stock, but it's one that has put up some impressive growth. So. I'm curious how, as someone who is, you know, interested in growth stocks, interested in having a decade-long view with, you know, potential multi-baggers, how you look at the trade desk currently. Um, as you say, it's expensive, and it has always been expensive. It was, it was also expensive when I bought it at nineteen and a half, um, you know, four years ago. Um, so I. I always have to think of of um, an article that Morgan Housel wrote years ago. Um, it, it it was you know what could I have paid uh, as a PE um, to have market like returns in this stock? Um, so you you go back, um, and he he went back. I think the article was written in two thousand and thirteen, and he went back to I think nineteen ninety five. Don't ask me why, <laughs> uh, but that that was it. Um, and um, you know, uh, Bank of America traded at um, six times earnings, six point one times earnings in nineteen ninety five. Um, but it actually had to trade at three times earnings to have market like returns. And Coca Cola traded at, I think it was eighty eight times earnings. Uh, no, no, it, it didn't trade that. It, it traded at uh, 24 or something, but it could have traded at 88 times earnings um, and you would still have had uh, market-like returns. I'm not sure if it was Coca-Cola, but it, I think it was. Um, it could have been another company as well. Sounds so, right. So, and that's actually that's actually how I think about valuations over the long term. If you, you know, if you look at, um, so... Um, the Boston Consulting Group had had a, a very interesting um, stat once that that showed you know if you look at shorter term and that's one year three year um, the most important element is uh, you know the multiple uh, for stock returns. If you look at longer periods and you look at ten years, then um, what the company does is most important and. What what I mean with what the company does and and the the, num- the, the numbers of um, Boston Consulting Group showed that revenue growth and um, and cash flows were most most important over a longer period. So if you look at the trade desk, they have been profitable in every quarter but one, the pandemic quarter in 2020 uh, since 2013. So. Um, I think that's important as well. This is not a you know a money losing company. This is a profitable company. And yes, if you look at adjusted numbers uh, versus gap, you will see a difference. Why is that? Jeff Green has had a huge compensation, compensation, uh, which you know um, still has influence there. Um, but it, you know, there's no dilution because um, the trade desk also buys back shares. Um, so, but, uh, you know, there has been quite a bit of, um, anger actually <laughs> from some people, uh, that thought this is, this is outrageous. You cannot do this so much. Well, 
I have to say, because I think it's in total, it's two billion. But there are very strict limits and it, it is over time. And I think that um you know it it, it the, the stock has to trade above a certain level for at least 30 days, etc. 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 And then he can get the next bonus. And um, you know, there's there's a, a full program there, and if he can bring or he can can reach all the goals in total it's it's not 2 billion maybe but 1.8 or something it's it's huge it's huge so um now if he does that um from here i think if i remember well um the highest price was 375 dollars i'm quite okay from here if my stock goes from 75 to 375 he can he can have a bit <laughs> so especially because the dilution you know uh, actually the trade desk buys more uh, buys back more than it you know the, the dilution so um I'm, I'm or recently i have to say that was not the case last year um so uh i'm, I'm not even even you know if you look at uh at everything the dilution and and they would not buy back even then the dilution would be like uh, four or five percent or something like that so i'm you know i'm it's never great to see that but i'm i'm still okay because it's you know you know uh he's aligned with shareholders and and you know that mo that doesn't make it great but it makes it better <laughs> it makes it it makes that bitter pill a bit sweeter <laughs> yeah no makes sense Let's get our wrap-up question, our favorite one that we ask on every episode, and that is the pre-mortem. What are you looking at for why an investment in the trade desk could perform poorly or why you would end up selling your shares or something like that in the future? Mm -hmm. um, I think in this space, innovation is extremely important. And you see that um, the trade desk, as I have said, um, uh, technologically, they're superior to everyone else in, in you know, of course, uh, platforms like Google and, and the Wolf Gardens have, you know, great technological cap uh, capabilities as well, of course. But I, I mean, uh, from the open internet, that's what Jeff Green always calls it, the open internet. You know, because you can go everywhere. You can go to Facebook, but you can go to YouTube, but you can also go to uh, Walmart, the displays, etc. So you can go to any site. You can advertise us. You can advertise with chit chat and money <laughs> um, through the through the trade trade desk. Um, so I, I think you know it's um, it's um, important that the trade desk keeps innovating, and you know they have just released an, an AI. Um, uh, update um i have not been able to to it was only um released um uh tuesday so two days ago when we are taping this um so and um uh you know they um they, i have not been able to look at it but just short summary but it, it looks it looked impressive again they totally uh changed their platform uh it was two years ago in just six months i think 70 75 percent had already switched to the new platform because they they wanted to you know customers to switch over two years uh and usually you know customers are uh, conservative 
Uh, they, they switched in, you know, in six months, uh, three out of four had already switched. Um, so those constant innovations are very, very important. Um, I also see Jeff Green as um, very important for the company. Uh, he's the visionary. He sees where the company has to evolve. As I said, he, he has made so many predictions that all proved to be correct. Not a single, and I'm talking about dozens that you can control, not just, you know, um, very vague, but very, you know, controllable. Um, and, um, you know, if, if he would leave, I'm, I probably would trim my, uh, my uh, position a bit as well, because it's a, it's a big position. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, I think that, and, uh, you know, there are always, if you look at risks, um, you know, you probably know the the quadrants. You have the known knowns. You have the unknown knowns. You have the uh, uh, unknown knowns and the unknown unknowns. And I think the last quarter, the unknown unknowns, is the the most important one. You, you, very often, um, it's something completely else than you expect. So you can take a look at the risks. Sure. Uh, but very often is something completely different happens and, and, you know, that's, that's just investing and that's just life, right? There's um, always uncertainty just, in investing. There's yeah. always uncertainty. And John Lennon, uh, uh put it, uh, like this, um, life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. So I think, I think that's correct. And I think that's, that goes for life. That goes for investing and, um, and I think, yeah, uh, there are risks that we are not aware of, and th- thinking that you you know everything is is just arrogant. <laughs> well, that is going to do it. That's all the questions we have, Chris. For anyone who wants to follow along with you, we have a lot of probably new listeners who maybe haven't heard you before. What are the best places or best resources to to keep up with you? Well, if you want my quick takes, uh, then you can follow me on Twitter at from value. Um, you can also, um, read my public articles on seeking alpha. Uh, so, um, there are five a month free if you're a, a seeking alpha subscriber, um, which, which I would highly recommend. It's, 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 you know, the value you get is, is huge. Uh, you can read all my free articles or public articles. And then I have my service potential multibaggers. Uh, there's a two week free trial there as well. Um, I mean, and a two week free trial, uh, sometimes people are afraid that they're locked in in one way or the other. Uh, I, I've counted it. It's just three clicks and you're out. So, uh, it's not that, that, that I, I don't, I don't want to lock in people. It's, you know, you have to be happy. Uh, and if you're not, I mean, you can read everything. If you say, I like it, you stay. If you don't, well, you leave. No problem there. So, uh, try it out. Awesome. Well, that is going to do it. We want to remind our listeners that Brett and I are not financial advisors. So anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital. So clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Chris, again, for joining us. And we'll see you all next time. 